Well, in August 2018, there was a surprising robbery that took place with unexpected items of interest and unexpected perpetrators of the crime. It happened in a wildlife location in the US, and there was upwards of $40,000 to $50,000 worth of creatures that were taken. And there were possibly up to 7,000 animals that were taken in this heist. Now you might wonder, like me, when I was first reading details of this uh, robbery, how in the world did people move 7,000 animals to and fro without being caught in the act? It's important for me to let you know that this took place in the Philadelphia Insectarium and Butterfly Pavilion. <laughs> that means that the animals you were imagining in your mind's eye may be a little bit different than you first thought. And on that long list of creatures that were taken that evening, we could see items such as the war warty, glow-spotted roaches and hairy tarantulas and leopard geckos, <laughs> to name just a few. Should I go on? Maybe not. These treasures are unusual, maybe ones that you and I would recoil from if we were given the chance to call them our own. But apparently there's a market for them because it was reported that these creatures must have been taken because they were going to be resold so that somebody else could make a profit. But this wasn't the only strange thing about this robbery. You see, it was not an outside job. When the police came to investigate the crime and they came onto the scene, they found bright blue uniforms hanging on the wall forebodingly held in place with knives. And this suggested to the police that it was none other than the staff of the insectarium that took these creatures. It was an inside job. And we're talking today about Luke chapter 19, and we're going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus. And we're going to be looking at the inside job he was doing every day, because he was stealing from his own people every day. He was a tax collector, and that means that it was no secret to his people. They knew it. In fact, if they spotted him on the roadside, they may very well have walked to the other side of the road to get away from him. And we're going to be looking at the way that this inside job pales in comparison to the inside job that Jesus does in the lives of those he comes to seek and to save. We're continuing our sermon series looking at encounters with Jesus. And we're getting glimpses of the transformation that is made possible in our lives as we allow Christ to change us from the inside out. So let's look at Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 4. First, Zacchaeus thinks he's the one who's on the lookout. He's the one doing the seeking. 
we read, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So first we meet Zacchaeus, and who is he? Well, he's in essence a traitor to Israel because he benefits uh, quite a lot by the heavy tolls and taxes that are put on his own people. And he's a chief tax collector, which means that all those other tax collectors who are collecting money, well, it helps to line Zacchaeus's pocket. This is a system that is built for his own benefit. And he's able to do tax farming, which means that he can add a 1%, a 2%, eh, maybe 20% to the amount that's due. And he's able to give cruel enforcement to make sure it gets paid. Well, we don't always hear about Zacchaeus that way. We don't often think of him as being heavy-handed and somebody that people mistrusted with public disdain. Instead, we often have in our mind an idea of Zacchaeus that's light and playful. I've included a picture here uh, painted by a Danish painter in the early 20th century, and this better depicts what we're used to, colorful, light, uh, light-hearted. Some of you may have a song that comes to your mind when you think of Zacchaeus if you grew up in the church. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree, so the Lord he wanted to see. If I'm not the only one. <laughs> Singing by myself here. But I want to assure you that the people around Zacchaeus and Jesus that day did not have a playful song in their mind's ear about a wee little man. No. They were a lot more familiar with the warnings that Jesus gave to those who lived a wealthy life. They would be more familiar with Jesus' teaching in Matthew 19, where the people hear that a rich young ruler came to Jesus at night, and he heard these words, that it would be easier for a camel to pass through the eyes of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's a big warning. It got their attention. And they might have been familiar with an earlier teaching in Luke chapter 16, where we see a reversal of sorts from the rich man who spent every day walking past a beggar, ignoring him. And at the end of his life, this parable suggests their fortunes were switched. And he had judgment coming. That would be an incredible warning. And the people would also be quite familiar with the teaching that with the ease of wealth, people were often using it to have sinful pleasures. And, and when they imagined a sinner, they put the tax collectors at the top of that list. People who better depicted the values of the Roman Empire than the values most precious to their people. In short, they were no fan of Zach. And we can call him that for short. <laughs> and he was short in stature. Something else we often playfully talk about with children. And children can relate to Zacchaeus because they know what it is to need help getting to what they can't reach. Or like a friend of mine here at 10th who happens to be quite small in size said, those of us who are short know we need people's help getting to what we can't get to. 
And Jesus finds Zacchaeus climbing into the tree, trying to get to Jesus. But ultimately, Jesus teaches Zac so much more. Well, let's read on. In Luke chapter 19, verse 5 through 6, we read that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. This is a glimpse of the gracious initiative of Jesus, a divine initiative. Zacchaeus was coming to look for Jesus. And Jesus was already there. He'd found him. And when we find God, we realize more than anything that God has found us first. The mystery of grace. When we find God, we realize more than anything that God has found us first. We don't even get a chance to hear what was happening in the heart of Zacchaeus. Before he has a chance to speak, Jesus is saying, go set the table for lunch. Let's break bread together. I'm spending time in your house today. The grace of Jesus. Have you ever had a big moment in your life where it felt almost like there were all the days leading up to that moment and then there were all the days afterwards? Have you had a moment like that? We have every reason to believe that this moment in Zacchaeus' life was like that. And we've already talked about all of the ways people would describe Zacchaeus leading up to this moment. But after this encounter with Jesus, who does he become as a result? How is he changed? I love the way one commentary writer writes about Zacchaeus' response. He says that Zacchaeus may very well have fallen out of the the tree in sheer astonishment for being treated the way Jesus treated him. The Greek word used to highlight Zac's response to Jesus is kairo. He received Jesus with kairo, with joy. And if we flash back to earlier teachings in Luke, a few chapters earlier in Luke 15, this joy, this Cairo, is central to all the stories where we hear of lost things being found. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And this commentary writer writes that the joy with which this little tax collector received Jesus is the very joy that always crops up when salvation is in the air. I like that. Lost things being found, salvation in the air. What does that mean? It means Zach is changed. And this is the same joy that we hear Jesus talking to his disciples, to his followers about on his way to the cross. And this is important for us to hear in this Lenten season. You see, Jesus speaks to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 23, and he tells them as he's heading to the cross, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. It's like he's telling them about an entirely different economy. A joy that cannot be stolen or taken away, even in the face of grief, even as he's heading to the cross. This is a different way to live. It reminds me of my life verse, a verse that I cherish and love. Romans 
5.2, written in the message translation this way, we throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. Standing tall. That sounds like a different Zacchaeus. I don't know if you have a life verse. I cherish those words, so you may have heard them before, but you'll probably hear them from me again. A life verse is something that helps to reorient us about our new identity in Christ. It's a piece of scripture that you keep finding yourself drawn back to, and it helps you to know what to be looking for, what Jesus is often doing in your story. And as I was praying over this message, I found myself thinking, ah, that must have been what it was like for Zacchaeus. <laughs> Throwing open the door and finding that Jesus was already there. And moving from a way of living that was small, that was always looking to add and make sure that things weren't subtracted from his treasures. And then finding a Jesus who taught him it wasn't subtraction, it was multiplication. A joy multiplied, living tall, open, ready to see how God was going to use his treasures for good in the lives of others. And just like that, Zacchaeus moves from being somebody hoarding treasures to being someone who is treasured by Jesus. And it changes everything. Just like that, everything he's trying to have more of, it's like it's fool's gold in his hands. I was praying over this this morning in my prayer time, and I found myself thinking about what it feels like when you're moving to a new place that uses different currencies. Many of you probably travel to different parts of the world. I lived in the Philippines for a few years, and I found myself thinking about how I used pesos every day to live and work. It was part of what I did to make it my way in life. But on the day that I was getting on the plane and I was getting ready to leave, it was like it suddenly dawned on me that this was just paper in my wallet because I was getting ready to go somewhere else where I was going to use a different currency. And I was praying about that this morning, and I found myself thinking, it must have been like that for Zach. You see, he had been collecting a lot of treasures, and his encounter with Jesus changed things. The things that he held on to, their value changed in a moment because Jesus was preparing him for a different way to live his life. And Jesus let him know those treasures were not going to be as important in this next way of life. And Jesus was saying to him, looking straight in his life, you are treasured by my love. And Jesus says this to us today, you are treasured by his love. And that's allowed to change everything. Friends, can I ask you a question? I've been praying for you today. Are there treasures in your lives that you find yourself protecting at all costs? Today can be a day where you have an encounter with Jesus that reminds you that the things you are so painstakingly keeping track of, managing, helping to keep you secure, well, their value may be different than you expect because you are treasured by Jesus.
and his love changes everything. Frederick Buechner is a well-known novelist and theologian, and he writes about Zacchaeus and many others throughout the scriptures. And in a book called Peculiar Treasures, he says very uh, starkly and somewhat playfully about Zacchaeus when he moves from A to Z. He gets all the way to Zacchaeus, and he says, Like Zacchaeus, they're all of them as peculiar as hell, to put it quite literally. And yet you can't help feeling that like Zacchaeus, they're all of them somehow treasured too. Why are they treasured? Who knows? But maybe you can say at least this about it, that they're treasured less for who they are and for what the world has made them than for what they have it in them at their best to be. Because ultimately, of course, it's not the world that made them at all. All the earth is mine, says Yahweh, and all that dwell therein, adds the 24th Psalm. And in the long run, presumably, that goes for you and me too. So why does this matter? Why does this matter for you and for me? Who is Zacchaeus in my life? Who is Zacchaeus in your life? Friends, Today, it is my job to tell you that there is a Zacchaeus in all of us. There is a Zacchaeus in all of us, so much so that I was tempted to call this message not a message about Zacchaeus, but a message about Zac in us. You see, there is a Zac in us when we are tempted to turn a blind eye on how our decisions impact anyone else other than ourselves and our own interests. And there is a Zac in us when we find ourselves ruminating over the ways we can most look out for the benefit of the three people we cherish the most in our lives. Me, myself, and I. And there is a Zach in us every time we find ourselves hoarding treasures, keeping, managing, and making sure that we get more of it, and the people we love get more of it, and the people who look like us get more of it, or the people who sound like us, or the people who value the things we value. Should I go on? <laughs> But there is also a Zach in us every time we encounter a Jesus who reorients our lives to what really matters and moves our eyes from the things we are treasuring and hoarding and making sure we get more of. And when Jesus makes a way for Zacchaeus, he also makes a way for you and me, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is a Zac in all of us. And it's like it changes the economy in which we live. In fact, it shakes up not just the person encountering Jesus, it shakes up everyone who witnesses it. We see this as we move on into our passage in Luke chapter 19, verse 7. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner? <laughs> Christ was always changing on its head who was in and who was out. And he was welcoming a sinner with him. 
We see this in earlier on as he gathered his disciples and Matthew, who was also a tax collector, was included in his group of 12. And in Matthew 9:11, there were people around Matthew who looked at him and said, why does your teacher always eat with tax collectors and sinners? And a couple verses later, Jesus defines why. He says very clearly about his mission, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And friends, that's good news. That includes you and me. You see, Jesus does this inside job. Jesus does this inside job that turns into an inside joy, and that inside joy is always supposed to result in an outward change in behavior, in action. It changes us. And this reminds me a bit of the story I opened up with today. You see, I found myself thinking about all those animals that got stolen from that insectarium. I was thinking to myself, why is it that the staff took all those creatures away? And as I was researching it, I found that, yes, it had made the headlines years ago. It was on the late night show. It was in the New York Times. It was on different news platforms. It made a great splash, good headline. But as I researched more, it seemed to be that there were testimonies about unfair work conditions that were happening in that location. You see, things are not always as they seem. And things that are done in dark are often brought to light. And as I read more about it, it sounds like there were testimonies that some of the people who worked there were actually people who were using their own funds, their own money, to make sure that place stayed open. And there were people who were in charge of that organization that were making sure that their pockets were lined. They were cutting costs. They were even feeding some of the creatures cheaper food that had insecticides and or pesticides and, and toxins in it and some of them began to die and and as I read it sounds like some of the staff members had actually brought many of their own animals so in that night that heist some of them were taking their own animals and leaving they said enough is enough there was a reckoning of sorts And this is the thing about what happens with Zacchaeus. You see, when we are in a different economy with Christ, we don't need to wait until somebody says enough is enough and takes things in their own hands. The work of Christ in our lives means that Jesus is able to move and change us in his presence and power. That's what happened with Zac. You see, when... When Jesus found Zacchaeus in that tree, he didn't catch Zac. He treasured him, and it changed him. And as a result, we see that Jesus always makes us generous. And we can read on in verse 8 through 10 and see the way that Zacchaeus was changed. In Luke chapter 19, verse 8 through 10, we read that Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
was Zacchaeus in the second half of his life? He became a generous man. <laughs> it changed him. And in the rule of law, everyone was required, if they were in ordinary circumstances, to give 10% of what they owned to help those who were less fortunate. And if you were wealthy, you were supposed to give 20%. And, if, and here Zacchaeus looks at Jesus and says, I'll give half of what I own, 50%. And in the law, in the rule in Leviticus, there was an understanding that anyone who was cheated was to pay back that principle in full and to add 20%. But what does Zacchaeus do? He looks at Jesus that day and he says, take 400%. I want to pay four times what I have cheated. You see? There weren't people coming to him up in arms saying, you've cheated me. All of this is going to be paid back. Enough is enough. No. Jesus, his presence changed him. And he was able to say, take 400%. This economy changes. And instead of trying to earn God's love, he knew he didn't deserve it. He knew he deserved condemnation instead. But suddenly it moved and changed him from arithmetic to multiplication. Joy multiplied. How does this happen? I want to tell you a story about my friend James. James is especially gifted at being able to bring people together and turn their eyes to Christ and get them to quiet their lives and spend time in contemplative prayer. We talked about prayer and confession in the beginning of this service. And years ago, James would bring me and a few others from the community to quiet ourselves in prayer. And to be honest, I was so busy. I was often running down the hallway to get there just in time for him to light the candle. And I would sit with a thousand things on my mind. And James would ask us to pick a word or a phrase that helped us to center our attention on Christ. And I remember the day that I felt God gave me an important word. And I want to share it with you. And I think it matters for the Zach in us today. I heard the word enough. Enough. And there are three different ways that I would often feel this word was being spoken over me throughout those, that season. I would come every week in prayer and I would hear the Lord say, enough. And oftentimes, I felt like Jesus was saying, Ash, you're enough. You're enough. You are treasured by my love. And I don't know who it is that's here today who might need to hear that. You are enough. You are treasured by Jesus. He thinks you're worth it. <laughs> that's good news. But there's a second way that I would often hear that word, enough, when I would come into that time of prayer with my friend James. Sometimes I heard a reminder, God is enough. And it was as though the Zach in me was being reminded that all the things I was managing and fixing and trying to take care of and needed more of for my security, it was like it stopped me in my tracks and I heard God say, I'm an Alphash. I got you. Is there anyone here who needs to hear that today? Are there treasures you are keeping track of, managing? God is enough. He's got you. He has good plans for you. 
But there is a third way I would hear that word enough. And as I've prayed, I can't help but wonder if there's someone here today who needs to hear it. Because every time I heard that third enough, it meant that God was saying to me, enough, stop. And it was always when he was confronting sin. You want to know how our economy changes? How in the world we make a change that means we are confronted by our sin. It's when the Spirit gets us quiet enough, honest enough, to look at the things we treasured, the disordered affections and longings of our hearts, and says, enough. The good news is that can happen with joy. You can say, Ash, I don't like being told I'm wrong. But I want to tell you, you can expect it to happen with joy because God in his power and presence is able to take wrong things and make them right again. And I know that this will bring about a greater joy than you can anticipate. Is there someone here, a Zach in us, that needs to hear today, enough. It's not God's best for you or for those your actions impact. Enough. I want to suggest to you three simple next steps, just quick little phrases that I'd like you to consider as ways that you can invite the generosity of Jesus to more fully fill your heart and move outwards. An inside job turned into an inside joy, turned into an outward change in behavior. I want to leave you with these three simple thoughts. Break bread with Jesus. Spend time getting away with the Lord. Zacchaeus was interrupted. He had a whole lot on his mind. But when Jesus showed up, it interrupted his life. Break bread with Jesus. Let God interrupt what you do every day. And in that time, talk to him about the things that you treasure the most. Be honest. He already knows. Break bread with Jesus. Secondly, I want to suggest that you learn from the master's. Look to see where it is that generosity is already radically being shared, maybe here at 10th or in your community. Look to people who are generously living a different way, a different ethic, and learn from them. But I warn you, Jesus is always turning on its head who it is that are our teachers and our masters, people who are like Zacchaeus, who have sinned, who have fallen short. They have been forgiven much, and now they give much. <laughs> so look for unexpected masters and learn from them. And lastly, practice with joy. Practice Cairo. Use, find ways to build up your generosity muscles from your morning coffee to your evening routines and everywhere in between, on the job, with your family, in your community, look for places where you can have surprising encounters, where you can build up your generosity muscles. And expect that God can even use you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you say to our hearts today, enough. And I pray that everyone in this room would hear that word just exactly the way you want them to.
Remind them that they are treasured. Remind them that you've got them. And remind them that the inside job you're doing in our hearts results in an inside joy that moves to an outside change of behavior. Lord, teach us and make us generous like you. Amen.